This is the fifth episode of Gen Z Investing Insights. We almost had a name change, and then Pearson liked the name change, so we're going to keep it there. It was going to be like GZ Investing, but then he was like, that sounds like a guy, so we're not going to going to keep it Gen Z Investing Insights. But my first question today is, how should the SEC and other similar regulators treat uh, AI investing? Like, should AI be treated as an entity that can be a financial advisor, or should it be treated as like a company? I think um I think it's really important that AI be regulated in the uh, stock market. I think most importantly, or I think the best way to to regulate it would be as if it was a financial advisor. So at the end of the day, it's taking your money, it's executing trades. It is a financial advisor. However, it's just not per, not a physical person, but it does the exact same things a financial advisor would do. So I think that would be the best way to regulate it. I 100% agree. I think AI right now with the technology we have should be treated as a financial advisor because it does the exact same thing that a financial advisor will do. They look at uh, all the fundamentals and all the technicals and all that stuff and adjust its trades based on that. So very similar to a financial advisor at this point. And I think a lot of people are doing research into how effective AI and large language models are um, at investing. I know there's this Twitter page and I haven't been keeping up with it, but it seems like AI is doing very good at, at investing and taking stock picks. So people are going to start using that as business businesses where they're investing AI into their businesses and using that to inform their decision. So regulation is going to be very important when it comes to uh, financial regulation and the intersection with AI. And the next question, next question I have is I've been thinking a lot how Gen Z is going to um, be business leaders in the future. And I thought about how we compare to other generations, specifically millennials. And I came up with a question that is, is Gen Z more or less entrepreneurial than uh, millennials? I think this is a really, really good question. Uh, I think as the generations pass, I feel like we become more innovative in a way because I feel like future pre or previous generations rather were so focused on amassing wealth through kind of not, not necessarily the, the most ethical ways, but uh, just, just they were looking for ways to make as much money as possible. And I think we've turned to now where the most innovative solution makes the most money as possible. So people look to be as innovative as possible in order to seek as much wealth as possible. So I think that was a really drastic change uh, in, the, in the generations that have gone through. Yeah, I yeah. think... Do you want to go, go first? No, you go, you go. So I think if you look um, at the history of business, people like Rockefeller were very monopolistic. And um, if you've if you've read uh, Peter Thiel's what was it called? Competition is for Loser, Monopoly has been kind of pushed away, and we're now looking at the best businesses are the most innovative. So I think going forward, especially for Gen Z, the most successful business will be the most innovative rather than the most monopolistic. Yeah, I have a hundred. I hundred percent agree. I was going to say some something similar to you, Jacob. I think also like it's not as if like other generations aren't as hard working and they're not putting as much time and effort. It's just like a, a cultural difference between the generations as Gen Z has to be more innovative. Just yeah, two and, and when tech keeps on getting better and better, you can only reinvent the wheel so many times before it's the same wheel. So you have to create something else other than the wheel that people are going to find very valuable. Yeah, um, and going into people being very innovative, some people don't find him very innovative. I really like him. That's Elon Musk. Uh, he's taken over Twitter. He was a early investor in Tesla and eventually took over. And he was a co-founder of PayPal. 
my question is, is Elon Musk a good leader for a company? And would you want him leading your own company one day? Objectively speaking, yes, he is. You, you look at his history as a leader, all of it, almost all of his history as a leader has been successful. Tesla, PayPal, SpaceX, every single company he's touched has gone well for him. It's been, it's been at points where he's had hard times like when he slept on the Tesla floor or when he had to make the decision between Tesla and SpaceX to invest into with his own money. But, but every company he's led has done something innovative and changed the world in a positive way. So I do think he's a good leader, yes. I think that is a perfect like way to describe Elon Musk. Uh, I think Elon Musk is a really profound leader and he does really bring out the best in each company he provides or he uh, not necessarily provides, but each each company he joins. And uh, he really makes it so that he, a company runs more efficiently. So on a worker perspective, let's say if you're a worker for one of his companies, you might not think he's the best leader because you're going to be working a lot harder than you were previously when he was not there. But I think the the innovation and everything that he provides really does make him a, a really great leader for a company in terms of uh, investment opportunity and in terms of how well a company is run as well. I think if you look at the history of Elon Musk, starting with Zip2, where he had to go to the YMCA and he was working basically all day, and then he goes to PayPal after the he made what twenty one million off of Zip2, goes into PayPal, he does his thing with PayPal, he makes PayPal a very successful, and it exits with um I think it was eBay. He goes to Tesla, he has some trouble trouble with SpaceX, and now he's just doing great. Everything he touches becomes better even if you look at twitter twitter is very controversial people don't like him as a twitter ceo he now has a new ceo which we'll talk about later but i think i am i am i'm a twitter user and i think twitter has gotten better uh, under his leadership and i just really think that elon is a great leader it's not like trying to be nice to him or anything but i think objectively as alex said he is a great leader anything else you guys want to add i think that covers it yeah uh well with that, we can just go into the new Twitter CEO, Linda Yaccarino. I think that's how you say it. Uh, do you guys, and Elon will stay on as one of the board of directors, but do you guys think she'll make any profound changes to Twitter uh, in the coming months? I mean, I think it's hard to say for sure what she will do. I think that that the audience Elon has attracted to Twitter is an audience of Elon not solely fans, but they, they like what he's doing. And so I think it would be a mistake for her to make any drastic changes from what Elon has done and the plan he has set for Twitter going forward as he has that big plan of just integrating everything. So I think it'd be a big mistake on her behalf to kind of go against anything Elon said. However, I do think she'll change a couple of things here and there. Yeah, I think I agree with that, but I do don't, I don't think she's going to really make any drastic changes just because she was appointed by Elon Musk. And I know Elon Musk is going to appoint leaders that agree with his ideals. And uh, so Elon is, you know, a busy guy. He has a lot of companies that he's working on. He was actually a starter of OpenAI. He has all these other companies that he has to manage in his little free time that he has. And I think that he's really making a, a, a great decision by you know, bringing other people on in order to, to help run his company even more efficiently and uh, kind of distribute his time around evenly to all of his companies. Yeah, I think something that Elon does very uh, well with his companies is that he creates a community um, around all these companies. And he did this with Twitter. So the community he's created with Twitter really likes what he did 
And I don't think that Linda really wants to change that culture at all. And I think she'll not change anything really too drastically, but she'll listen to feedback. She'll be she'll be a CEO, basically. Um, another Elon PayPal, not Elon PayPal, another Elon IP is PayPal. Uh, this is the Elon episode. So PayPal did have a rocky week. Uh, the Q1 earnings came out. They were hit with massive sell-offs and their, their stock dropped. So do you guys think that PayPal can do well in the future? Are they a really old business? They're like 24 years old now. Uh, do you think they can do well in the future? And what would they need to, how would they need to inter- iterate to uh, succeed in the future? So I really do like PayPal as a business. Not really the PayPal aspect, but I do love Venmo. I think Venmo is a way to, there's so much youth on that app it's only growing but the problem is with venmo right now and with most of paypal's like uh ways of making money is they're not profitable enough with those means they need to find a way and i don't know how they're going to do this to profit to make each of their businesses profitable because they have the user base that's already there but they just have to figure out how to make as much money on them as possible something pierce said that i i was thinking of is he uses venmo all of my friends i know use venmo like i can't really tell you anyone any Gen Z, like any of my friends who don't use Venmo or who have PayPal over Venmo. So I think that's something that PayPal ought to do going forward. They have to, they have to target a new audience in a sense. I feel like they're losing, they're losing people to different apps that do the same thing. PayPal was, PayPal was revolutionary when it first came out, but now it's PayPal or now there's like um, Venmo, Zelle. There's all these different ways of sending money. And I think PayPal, I think the sell-off was justified. I think PayPal has to change going forward to attract a new audience. I think if you look how PayPal started, where they they started at least Confinity, which so there was X.com, there was Confinity, and they merged into PayPal. Confinity started as these these like blocky phones, and you would like zip money to people through uh I think it was infrared, and they had a they had to iterate, they had to innovate, and they had to change their product so that people would use it. And now you find PayPal twenty four years later having to do the same thing, where they have to innovate their product. So that they can get more money. That was an original problem with PayPal, um, is that they couldn't find a good way to monetize it. Um, and as Alex said, a bunch of Gen Z, I use PayPal, Pierce uses PayPal, Alex uses PayPal. In Venmo? I mean or- Venmo, Venmo. Yeah, yeah. Venmo. Uh, and they just don't have a lot of revenue streams. But if you look at competitors like Cash App, they're going into investing. And I think that's an opportunity for Venmo. Uh, to do is to get into investing. And I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, to use investing uh, to create more revenue streams. Do you guys think uh, investing is a good way for Venmo to go? I think, they, yeah, I think they've... Wait, I do think you Venmo mean... started... Venmo, Venmo and PayPal are the same subsidiary. Isn't Venmo a subsidiary of PayPal? I, so... I think there's... Yeah. So, so in that case, Venmo, Venmo, I think they started to implement cryptocurrencies. I don't know about stocks, but I know that you can invest on cryptocurrencies through the app. But I think if they, they more more broadly expand into uh, different different stocks and really be making an all-in-one brokerage, they had really have a chance of competing against a lot of these other companies because the keto brokerage is huge users and Venmo already has all those established users. So the, mo- the more people that they can to convert into investing, that's where the money comes. I agree with you. Yeah, um, I think you guys are right. They just they just need revenue. I mean, every business does, but they're kind of struggling right now. Um, I want to go back to AI for a second. 
um, and talk more about regulation. So I kind of want to talk about regulation uh, from more of a broader perspective. I think AI is something that you definitely have to regulate. There's so many different um, things you can do with AI. And if people are able to use AI for their own malicious means, it can lead to some really bad stuff happening. How do you guys think the government should regulate AI going forward to uh, ensure the safety of humans? I think one big factor when it comes to like the safety of, of like humans, at least like it's coming for jobs. Economically, it is going to hurt pe people if AI is not regulated as for instance, like truck drivers, like I know it's not really AI, but it's automation. When AI starts automating jobs, it's, it's gonna hurt the US economy as people will be out of work. People aren't spending money. So the government needs to find a good good middle ground of controlling AI so it's productive for people, but also to a point where it's not taking over jobs, hurting the economy. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good topic there. I think uh, jobs being taken over by AI is still not really talked about in a, in a huge discussion. I think Andrew Yang was a politician a few years ago who uh, started really talking about that and how we are going to need to implement a universal basic income at some point in order to kind of compensate for all the jobs that AI displaces. So I think this is going to have it's going to be something that the government's going to have to grapple with and uh, the matter of how they're going to get that money and who they're going to tax and how they're going to regulate everyone is still a discussion that needs to be done. And I think it needs to be done sooner than later. Yeah, I think you guys are really right. I think AI, even if you don't think AI is coming for your job, AI is coming for your job. Um, there's been a lot of controversy with um, the Writers Guild and they've been protesting a lot, but writing is something that, you know, art is art. But if you if you need like writers and like, if you're, if you're let's say you're a film producer and you need writers for your, for your movie, and all the writers are out protesting and you can just put in a prompt into ChatGBT and automate the script and get that movie done and make millions off of it without having to pay writers. Dude, I'm not messing around with you writers that are protesting all day. I'm just going to use AI. So that's it. That's my AI rant for today. Uh, but I do want to go into uh, what is compound interest? I think a lot of people are getting confused about what it is. Um, I saw this weird TikTok about it where someone uh, misconstrued what it was. Pierce, can you tell the people that what compound interest is? Yeah, so how I always describe compound interest is, let's say you start with $1,000. So we learn about linear and we learn about exponential in high school. And most of you probably know about that. But essentially what happens in linear is the growth is the same from that previous amount each year. So let's say I grow 10% on that $1,000. If it was linear, then I would have 1,100 the first year, 1,200 the second year, and so on, 1,300, 1,400, whatever. So you grow by $100 each year. But in an exponential or compound interest way, if I was to grow by 10% on the amount, I would start with, let's say, $1,000, then I would be the same the first year, be 1,100, but then I would grow 10% on that 1,100 the next year. So at 1,100, the next year, I'll grow not $100, but I'll grow $110. So then I'll have $1,210, and it goes so on. So that extra $10 that you get keeps on compounding and compounding on that original amount that is from the previous time. So I think that's a really good way to explain it and how impactful you could see it. That can make a big difference over time, that additional 10% on 1,000 
$100 rather than the continuous 10% from that original $1,000 can, can just be super impactful into long-term investing. Um, I do have a question though. I saw, so the TikTok I was talking about earlier was the person was like, $5 can turn into $500,000 in five years. Is that a reasonable expectation to have that you're, you'll start with a small amount of money and then it'll become very big because it's not crazy to think with that word compound that it'll keep on growing, but what's the timeline here? Timeline. So if you look what the, the spy does, it's, you're not going to get for, for that to happen. You'd have to have, you know, thousands of percent a year. And that's not going to happen if you're, you know, starting with $5 and going to $50,000 in 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 five, five years, it's like a once in a, in a trillion chance that's going to happen. So Realistically, you can expect uh, 10% roughly, maybe like I would say anywhere from five to 10. If you were to, to estimate that, uh, 10 is really on the high side for that. So it's that $5 maybe would be, I, I can't do the math right now, but it would probably be $8 or something max, 750. That's my guess. Uh, by that time in that five year period, you're not going to see a, that crazy, crazy, crazy return that you see in all those TikToks about how impactful compound interest is. And it is super impactful, but don't believe that you can make a million percent in five years. That's very unlikely unless you're investing in, you know, you find a one once in a lifetime mm-hmm. Dogecoin or something opportunity that's not going to happen. Yeah. Compound interest is something that exa- it, it, it's something that's very important as an investor that you should know about, but it's not something that's going to make you rich in the present. Um, if you if you really want to think of how how compound interest is going to affect you, you should be thinking at this not from a five year perspective, but like a 50, 60, when you're really old perspective, something that you can give away to your kids, something that you have uh, in, a, in an IRA account, something in a 401k, not something that you're going to use next month for the PS5. Don't think of it like that. It's it's not how it works. Um, But. I do want to talk about the week ahead. Not a lot going on. Uh, we do have a bunch of retail information and consumer purchasing stuff going on. Do you guys have any predictions for next week? Anything crazy you guys think are, is going to happen next week? I think we're about where we expected. I really don't. I mean, we've, we've seen a really flat market for the past few weeks. Uh, I don't expect anything to change. I don't think there's anything too substantial right now that's going to happen. Uh waiting for maybe next inflation data, which is going to be, I don't know when that's coming out, but I think that's going to be the next uh, catalyst in the market. Yeah, I agree. I think overall um, we'll probably see a percent. I don't on spot like percent plus or minus. I think that the market's kind of waiting for new information. Everything we've heard recently has been expected or it's fallen in line. So there's just no real news in the market. So I'm not, I'm not really seeing any big plays coming up, kind of just a more mellow market. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I don't like last week we were very bearish. Uh, we didn't see a lot happening and nothing really did happen. There's not a lot that's coming out. Um, as for any, anything big happening, uh, AI is, oh, there's something that's happening with AI every day. So maybe Google or open AI announces something that really shifts the price of Microsoft or uh, Google. Um, but I do have another thing I want to talk to you guys about. What is your opinion on day traders? I don't like day trading. I don't like Forex trading. I'm against that. Um, people who are saying like, I'm a 15 year old and I've made $300,000 this month. I don't like those guys. What is your guys take on uh, day trading? 
Well, I mean, I, I do a little bit. I mean, it's it's a it's a guilty pleasure, you know. I like I like to day trade. Um, I I wouldn't necessarily say I'm one of like the gambler day trades. I I I trade more weekly ish, but I monitor every day. Sometimes I'll do a call or a put depending on how a reaction is to data. But I will admit it, it's kind of a gamble. And people promising like like three thousand percent returns per year, they're just lying because realistically, you can you can make estimates on where it'll go. You can make good educated guesses, but you can't 100% be sure. And I think it's, I think just, I think day traders, especially online are very misleading and very hazardous to the actual market. But I think if you just day trade or trade like weekly with calls and puts and different spreads, I think that's totally fine. Yeah. I mean, so my take on this is interesting because I used to be a day trader kind of in a way. I would I saw all those, you know, those TikToks and stuff when I first started. I was like, oh, maybe this is a good idea. And I made, you know, you make 40% in a week or something like that the first week. Oh, like you get lucky. But then you think you start getting in your head, you're like, oh, maybe I'm better than the market. And I mean, us as humans are so emotional. And we're gonna react, you know, with everything that we do, we're gonna react in a, in an intense sense. And the thing about the market is you cannot be emotional. So once you get emotionally attached or anything happens. That's where you start to lose money. And that's why I think day trading, no matter who you are, I think in some capacity, we all have some emotion behind all of our trades. And in that case, I think maybe if you want to play around, you know, it really, if it floats your boat, I would maybe allocate maximum of 10% uh, if you're just starting out in a day trading, just to kind of experiment around. But I would really, really, really advise you all to at least allocate 80 or so percent into long-term investments. My take, I already gave you guys a, a little hint of it earlier, but I'm a very fundamentalist trader. I believe in analysis. I believe in execution. And I think that's what makes a good trade due diligence. When you look at stuff like uh, these charts that day traders like to put up, it's essentially a promotional scheme for their own courses and their own self-interest. But when your uh, when people's first introductions to trading, as Pierce said, is day trading, it gives people a false sense of what investing is, and it sets them up for failure. Let's say I just get into trading, like Pierce says, and I have a good two hundred dollars to um, invest in day trading, and then I lose all of that money. I'm not going to want to invest anymore. My whole perception of investing is now ruined because I think that I can make six hundred thousand dollars off one trade. So that's where that's where I have the biggest problem with day trading is that it gives people a false sense of what trading is, not trading, but investing is, um, and it's just it's really hurting how Gen Z looks at um, investing and long term investments. So that's that's, that's my take. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I mean, going back to what you said, or like we talked about earlier, compound compound investing. Like if if you want to be profitable in the market, I mean, it's gonna suck, but you're gonna have to. Put your money, like what you earn, put like 20% of what you earn into, into SPY and let the dividends just keep investing. Let the snowball roll. Eventually it'll pay off. But realistically, you're not seeing 600% gains like you're promised on TikTok. That's just not how it is. Yeah, I think it's also, oh, I think it's also important to really look at day trading as you're using a lot of your time and time is a really valuable resource. And if you're day trading, you have to constantly look at the market. And that time can be used to, to make money in other methods. You have a job. There, there's so many ways to, to make money in that time that you're using to day trade. So it takes away a lot. It adds a lot of stress to your life. 
it adds in, I think it was a statistic. What is it? 99% of day traders don't make money. So there's just so many ways that can go wrong that I would, I'm more of a steer clear type of guy and let it go long-term. Listening to this other podcast is really good. I think it's called um, Innovation Cloud. It was good. It was really good. It was one of these episodes and it gave me some really good insights um, that I agree with that Gen Z, because of TikTok, looks at a lot of um, business type stuff and investing stuff as something that's very short term. From my perspective, investing and other ventures are something that's very long term. Even with uh, uh, startup culture, it's still going to take you five plus years to really get that good ROI um, on your original investment. And I think that's something that could really hurt us as a generation is that we look at things from the short term because of uh, TikToks and uh, Instagram reels that are saying, hey, you can make X amount of money in uh, a very short amount of time. And this has always been a thing. People have always been uh, policy scheming you saying you can get rich quick. But I think when you're flooding people's feeds so much, saying that you can get rich quick with all these different things, people are going to memorize that and put that in their brains that anything that they do in life, they can get a good return on their investment in a very short amount of time. And I think that's something that's going to really hurt our generation. Do you guys want to add? Uh, I'm going to go quick. Wait, if, if, if they're trying to sell you something on TikTok, if there's like link in bio for course, bro, like... Get out. It's it's get out. Get out. Like if, if they were as profitable as they claim, why would they be selling you a $60 course? They don't need your money. They should be getting 600% a year. Exactly. And if you look at stuff like day trading, not day trading, uh, what's it called? Drop shipping. Drop shipping is the same thing as day trading where it's just people trying to sell their, their courses to you and it's all their own self-interest. Stuff like, so I tried, I tried drop shipping. I tried I tried it. It's a lot of time and effort that wasn't as advertised. And it's not really a business. It's just selling inventory. And I noticed this. I remember in our school newspaper, someone got called an entrepreneur for selling on one of those like fashion sites. Selling inventory is not being an entrepreneur. It's just selling inventory. You have a, you have this hat and I'm going to give a person this hat in exchange for $5. That's not, not, that's not entrepreneurship. That's just trading. You're, just, you're a salesman at that point. Yeah, it's it's not a venture. Whatever. Um, but yeah, I think if that's if you guys don't have anything to say, it's a good point to wrap up. I think it was a little longer than last episode, but that was the fifth episode of Gen Z Investing Insights. Thank you for listening. A little more of a hectic episode than the last ones. But 